so let's ready ourselves as we declare he is here are you ready are you ready for his glory are you preparing the soil of your soul are you saying speak to me Let's surrender in our worship for a moment. Lift a song before him. Come on, release it now, right across this place. gathered Father from the corners of this globe we stand under an open heaven today we thank you as your children we're expecting our Father to speak to us in these days and we know if we fail to hear it's not because you're not speaking it's to do with our listening so we align our hearts and our lives to you. And as you speak to us through women and through men this week that you've set aside and put your hand upon, we say, Father, we're ready and we're hungry. We're praying for Leon as he comes in just a moment that as he launches us into this week that you'd use him and the things he says to be the vehicle for what you'd say to us as we ready our hearts to hear you today, Father, in Jesus' name. Let's applaud our great King, shall we, together. His presence. Let's thank the guys for leading us this morning. And then you can make yourselves comfortable. Well, it's so great to see you all as Chris has welcomed you. It's wonderful. I, I kind of asked for this moment. I'm unashamedly admitting to that for a particular reason. Because 18 months or so ago, when Amanda and I stepped out of our role leading in local church to take up this great honor and privilege of the role that I now serve, we, we knew we needed to find a new home. We knew it was right to step aside from Christian Life Centre and let Andy and Andrea lead the church on. And uh, we, we started going to Life Central Church. It wasn't called Life Central Church then. It was Zion Hale Zoe in Zion Christian Centre. And Leon had been a friend of mine for a number of years. But uh, we just found over the last 18 months or so, being part of that local church, watching Leon and his team lead the church through some significant change, not just an, a new name, but many of you know back in 2015, the church had this fire in its building, but we've watched God work in this local church, this local Elim church in Hales-Owen. We've watched them launch two new campuses, 
But more than anything, I just watched a friend grow as a leader. And I had to take the opportunity, ask Chris if I could welcome and uh, introduce Leon to you. Leon Evans has been lead pastor at Life Central Church now for over 20 years, served the church longer than that. And I sit under his ministry regularly, and I know you're in for an amazing thrill today as you hear God speak to you through Leon. I want to give you a real big, ask you to be a real big welcome to Leon Evans as he comes and shares with us today. Thank you, Leon. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Everybody okay? Um, it is such an honor and privilege uh, to share with you a little bit this morning. And uh, I want to say a massive welcome. I know it's already been said to those of you that have flown in and you come from overseas. You are so welcome. We are so glad that you are here with us. Thank you so much for taking the time and the effort to be here. Thank you. I also want to say a massive welcome if you are watching on live stream uh, today as well and you're tuning in, that's brilliant. And if you're part of my team at Life Central and you're also watching, get back to work. <laughs> I'm just joking. I have the best team on the planet. They are amazing guys. Many of them are here, but many of them are back home in Hal Zoe as well. Fantastic. I don't know how you've arrived at this conference. Uh, by arrived, I don't mean what kind of transport you came to, to get here with. How, what's your posture as you've arrived at the start of these three days together? Maybe for some of you, you feel a little bit like this horse, Thumbelina, as she comes up for us on the screen. No, or maybe not. <laughs> Great. There we go. So maybe some of you, when you come to an event like this, you feel like a Thumbelina horse, 43 centimeters high, and you're looking at other people, and you're looking around, anyone know what I'm talking about? And everybody seems bigger and better, and all of their Instagram stories look amazing, and you're in your situation, and your posture is intimidation. I know a little bit about what that feels like right now, being on this stage, uh, but maybe that's your position, that's your posture, intimidation. Don't be intimidated, you're among friends. Bigger is not always better. Instagram stories don't always say the real deal. Do not be intimidated this week. Maybe your posture is this horse, and maybe you're the lone stallion. Maybe your position is isolation. Some of you think, that's me right there, stallion. It ain't, it ain't, all right? In your head, it might be, it's not. But maybe your position, your posture is isolation. Maybe because you think all, all you need is yourself. All you need is yourself and Jesus. Or maybe your posture is isolation through no fault of your own. You find yourself in an isolated situation. Please, don't stay isolated this week. Maybe, maybe this is the posture we should assume. These are draft horses. This is the posture of collaboration. One of these horses on its own pulls 8,000 pounds. Listen, two of them doesn't pull double, two of them pulls three times as much weight as one horse. What could we do if we didn't have a posture of isolation, if we didn't have a posture of intimidation, but instead, under God, had a posture of collaboration? What could God do? What could God do? I want to encourage you not only to have a posture of collaboration um, this few days, but also have a posture of expectancy. I have been to hundreds of conferences. How many of you have been to hundreds of conferences? And, and you know, we, we oscillate between these two positions, between expectancy and familiarity. The expectancy is that this will be the one where we get the silver bullet. 
This is the one where we get the killer idea, the killer strategy, which changes everything. And then we remember familiarity. We've been here before. We've been whipped up before. We've been inspired before. We've ran through fire tunnels before. And I'm not knocking that, I've ran through many fire tunnels, but how many of you run through a fire tunnel at the end and you get back home and it feels exactly the same? And I want to encourage you, don't oscillate, because we do, between expectancy and familiarity. Don't let familiarity take away expectancy because God's here. Because God's here. And I want to encourage you, because when we let that happen, what falls is our sense of hope. And my message this morning is I want to dare you to hope in these days. I want to dare you to hope. How important is hope? You know, I found this on Facebook a few months ago, and if you're British, you'll get this. If you're not, you might not. Here's a great definition. Where there's tea, there's hope. Come on, come on. Where there, you know, I was, I was in America recently on a study break. I may refer to that a couple of times, and, and somebody actually stopped me and said, hey, you're from the UK. It's four o'clock. Do you need tea? I'm like, you've watched way too much of The Crown, okay? <laughs> Only the queen does that. But where there's tea, there's hope. You know, biblically, hope is a confident expectation in the goodness of God. A confident expectation in the goodness of God. I wanna read some verses to you folks this morning. I wanna just set up the context a little bit. It's 586 BC, Israel's in captivity. Jerusalem is under siege. The Babylonians are about to plunder the gold and the silver and the bronze from the temple. They'll destroy it, take people captive, leave the remainder in Judah with nothing. The people of God are watching their way of life disintegrate before their eyes at a rapid rate of knots. Sound familiar? I can't believe over the last few years how much the world has changed. The redefinition around marriage and sexuality. The redefinition of the word tolerance and what that really means. Startling data on persecution worldwide. You know, the level of religious freedom has deteriorated worldwide in the last few years. Concerning statistics in terms of church attendance and church patterns of attendance, especially in the Western and the European church. In my area, Birmingham and the black country, uh, we have got the highest uh, rate of gun and knife crime outside of London. And I don't know whether I've ever lived in a day where our society's view of leadership is as low as it is right now. I, I do agree. <laughs> and we live in these turbulent times it's easy to feel a despair and a lack of hope, just as the people of God did in 586 BC. But then, this is written. Lamentations 3. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope. The writer says, come on. Yet I still dare to hope. When I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. The reason we can hope is that the recreated mercy and faithfulness of God happens on a daily basis. No matter what happened yesterday, today, his mercy, his faithfulness, and his love will be recreated new and fresh. And whatever you're facing, whatever your situation is, and I wanna pull no punches at the start this morning, whatever you've come from, you need to know you can hope today, not because we'll whip you up, not because you'll get a silver bullet, not because you'll run through a fire tunnel, but because the love of God is recreated new every single morning. Dare to hope. I wanna dare you to hope. 
You know, you know the word dare in Hebrew is the word tolmeo. And it's not a challenge, it's a call. It's a call. It literally means to manifest courage, to have adequate or sufficient courage for any purpose. To be bold, to bring oneself to something. To bring oneself to something. It's not a challenge, I dare you. You ever remember when you were a kid and someone dared you to do something? It's not a challenge to dare. It's a call out of you. Can you dare to hope again? And I want to take you through a passage of scripture in Mark chapter 2. If you've got a Bible or a, an iPad or an iPhone or whatever, Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. This is a well-known passage of scripture, and, and I'm living in this at the moment, and God is showing me so many things and so many layers and meaning, I believe, in this. But I want to read it to you, and I want to pull out some, I think, keys for hope. Not that you tick it off as a checklist, please, but that the Holy Spirit would do something deeper in our hearts at the start of our three days together, that we would not remain intimidated or isolated, but collaboratively, we would experience hope again as individuals and as a family. So it says this in Mark chapter two. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Just notice, Jesus connects thinking to hearts. We'll come back to that. It is, easy, is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Great story, isn't it? I love this story. I want you to think about every character in this story. Let's think about the man on the mat. Because he's a man who's living with restriction. He's on a, a mat that's maybe three by six foot, and he's staring at the same bit of ceiling or sky every single day. He is living with restriction. He's also living with stigma. Because in his day, if you've got this kind of illness, this kind of disability, there comes a stigma with it as well as the restriction. And so someone in another story said to Jesus, you know, who is it that sinned, this man or his parents? There's a stigma and there's a restriction. And I wonder if some of us have arrived here with a restriction and maybe a stigma over our lives or over our situation. And maybe like this man, the narrative going on in our head is our situation, my situation will never change. My situation will always be this, nothing will ever change. I have no reason for hope. You know, the narrative we tell ourselves is really important, isn't it? And, and I love this quote by a guy called Seth Godin, who's a business writer. He said this, people don't believe what you tell them. They rarely believe what you show them. They sometimes believe what their friends tell them. They always believe what they tell themselves. That's genius right there. And can I just say to you, and I'm so glad that Elim is like this now. We don't have to feel 
fearful or insecure of taking truth from outside the Bible because all truth is God's truth. And I'm so glad that we are much wider and open for that now. And to me, when I read that, I thought, that's so true. We always believe what we tell ourselves. So what are you telling yourself today? Some of you come from tough situations and you've come and you, and you say, I wanna be expectant, but I'm not sure. Maybe nothing will change for me. Can you dare to hope? Because the recreated love and mercy of God is new every single morning and it's new for you as well. It is new for you as well. So what I wanna do is I wanna take you through five which I think are keys to releasing hope in our life. The first one is this, we have to dare to dream. We have to dare to dream. Can this man begin to allow himself to dream that his situation might change? His restriction might open up. His stigma might be taken away. Can he do that? If you can't dream, you've got no sense of awakening to hope, to dream and to imagine and picture a preferable future, a vision of what could be or what should be. Um, like I said, I've been in America recently on a study break and traveled around five states, was speaking at an event in Texas, and then I went to conferences and went to some mega Disneyland churches, I call them, which is so good. Uh, but but so many people came to me and said, I love your accent. And I said, really? I'm a black country boy. It's the most hated accent in the country, but you love it. But here's the thing, wherever you're from, guys, don't you just love where you're from? And I'll tell you what, I can criticize where I'm from, but don't you dare. Isn't that right? And I'll tell you what, if there's any brummy and black country people in the house, God lives there, doesn't he? And I'll tell you what, there's something, I'm brought up in the black country, I've been in the same church 25 years, my, my father and my father's father and all of that, in the black country, I love it. And I'll tell you what, you will never reach the people if you don't love them. Never reach them. And a few years ago, we were approaching our 35th anniversary as a church, and we sat around a table, and Andy, who's our youth pastor, does an amazing job with Laura, his wife, and the whole team. He said, listen, I found a tweet. Somebody's tweeted about our town. Now, our town is called Hales Owen, okay? And nobody's hardly heard of it. It's a small town of 60,000 people, but we love it because we love the people in it. And the tweet was this. Hales Owen is the place where dreams go to die. And I tell you what, I tell you what, when we heard that around the table, something of the Spirit of God rose up in us. Something of the ferociousness of the lion. Um, isn't that brilliant what Helen's done? That is so amazing. Helen, thank you so much for doing that. That is amazing. And something of the lion of Judah rose up and said, that's not true. And, and so what we began to do is we began to say, how can we take this and turn it and so what we did is we, 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 we prayed and we brainstormed and we came up with ideas and we had this amazing community day where we got live animals in and we got bouncy castles and we did all this and we invited the community in and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people came in. We don't know how many people came. It was incredible. And then we gathered them all on a car park and we said, whether you're a Christian or not, this tweet has come out about our community and we're not having it. So we want you to write what you dream for this community on this piece of card, and we attached it to balloons, and then this is what happened, the picture, the next picture, if you got the next picture. We just let them off. And do you know what's amazing? As we look back at our story over the last few years, we trace the breaking through to that moment. When we said, Hell's Owen is the place where dreams, no, 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 no. This is gonna be the place where dreams go to fly. Because we can dare to hope, and maybe your community is restricted. 
Maybe your situation is restricted even with a stigma. Can you dare to hope? Can you dare to dream? Can you dare to dream? And when we look back over these last few years, you know, right a few months after that happened with, the, with the, the balloons, we had the fire. That's not in the script, God. What's going on there? But then, you know, as a result of that and the insurance money and a change of strategy, you know, I, I said to my, our church just recently, this is breathtaking what God has done. We were at a ceiling of reaching 500 people over a Sunday. We could never break through that. Now we're reaching 650 and we look back and that's, it's not about the numbers, it's about the life. We look back and we say, God, you've been faithful. And I, I put it this way, God has been good, the people have been faithful and the fire helped. <laughs> so in, in the last year, we changed our name We've got a new building, debt-free, and we've launched a new site and we're repurposing another. We're now one church in three locations and we track it back to the moment where we took that and we said, no, 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 no. This is not the place where dreams go to die. This is the place where dreams can fly because we have a God who recreates his mercy every single day. So can you dare to dream? Can you dare to dream? Secondly, can you dare to receive? This man could dream all he liked He's not getting to Jesus without help. And I want to say this to you really, really lovingly. And I've not always lived like this, but I am now. Ask for help. Leaders, ask for help. You will never get where God wants you to go on your own. We were never, ever designed to live like that. He had to be vulnerable. He had to ask for help. He had to receive help. Or he's stuck forever. A few years ago, I was uh, speaking out in Eastern Europe. I've done a lot in Eastern Europe since 1990. I've been going to Bulgaria every single year from 1990 to now, and Albania as well. And I was out in Eastern Europe speaking at a really large youth event, and God had done some amazing things. And I was flying home on my own, which is very rare for me, and I, I came into Paris Airport, catch a connecting flight back to Birmingham, and I was feeling a little bit... Do you know what I mean? Like, this is good, God's been good, loads of people have got saved, it was great. And as I was sat there, I needed to go to the loo. And so I went to the toilet, because preachers have to use the toilet as well. You know that, don't you? And as I went into the cubicle, I went into the cubicle, I shut the door and locked it, and the handle fell off the other side of the door. <laughs> now, the last time I told this story, somebody came up to me, another preacher, and said, that ain't true. Every single word of this is true, every single word. And as I, and as I sat there, I did what I needed to do, no more detail, okay? And then I thought, I got time, it's fine. Somebody's bound to come in. It's Charles de Gaulle Airport, it's a huge airport. Somebody will come in, it'll be fine. Nobody came in. It was like everybody but me had been raptured and I was there, okay? And then I looked at my watch and I thought, I really have to do something because if I don't, I'm gonna miss my flight. And then I tried to get out and I couldn't. And then I thought, it's fine. I've watched Die Hard. I know what Bruce Willis can do. It can't be that difficult. And so I went to push through the door and it's harder than you think. It's harder than you think. And then I had this other brainwave. I noticed there was a gap at the top of the cubicle. And so I thought, I can, I can climb. Now, what you need to understand is that I've lost a lot of weight in the last couple of years. I was three stone heavier than I am now. And all of that, every single pound was here, okay? So as I'm climbing out over the cubicle, this is absolutely true. My head goes over fine. My shoulders go over fine. My chest goes over fine not so much my stomach. <laughs> and in that moment, I am stuck and I'm hanging out over the toilet and I can't get out and I can't go back. And I'm like, just been preaching to loads of people and God's done all this stuff and I'm stuck in the loo in Paris and I can't get out and I can't get back. 
And then I think, what do I do? And so I go for my phone, and this was a few years ago, and, and, I, and I, I've got my, I, can't, I don't know who to call. So I called home. <laughs> Why not? My wife was out, and my mother was babysitting our kids that were young at the time. And I said, Mom, 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 and she says, aren't, aren't you away overseas? I said, yes, I'm stuck in a toilet in Paris airport. <laughs> my mom says, you're always messing about, and put the phone down. <laughs> What's that about? I'm like, Mom, she's gone, you know? And then at that moment, at that moment, this fella walked in through the door, and Jesus. And he says, he looked at me, and I'm thinking he's gotta be French, so I try my best French, which is awful, and he was a Bromie. <laughs> You're right, mate, you're stuck in the toilet. And he released me and let me out. Hallelujah. And, and here's, here's the thing, here's the thing. We all get stuck, tenuous link. We all get stuck, we all get in that moment when we're stuck, and no matter what we try to do, no matter how gifted, anointed, passionate, strong, whatever, we can't get out on our own, we need others. Listen to this quote from Irving McManus, your greatest strength is not when you can prove that you don't need anyone. Your greatest strength is when you no longer have to prove you can do it alone. Last Monday, I had the great privilege of officiating at the wedding of my son. My eldest son, I know. All the women went, oh. And all the men went, oh. I know that. And um, it was a great honor. We have two boys. Josh is 25, one that got married. And then Simeon is 23. When Simeon was born, our second, we love him so much. And when he was about a year, my wife is a nurse, she knew something was not right with Simeon. And we went to lots of doctors and had lots of different tests. And they said, oh no, he's fine. He's just got delayed speech. Just have speech and language therapy and it'll be fine. And my wife knew it wasn't right. And at the age of two, two and a half, he was finally diagnosed. And we sat in a consultant's office. We were, I was assistant pastor at the church I'm in now at the time. We were young in our early 30s. And I, we sat opposite the, 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 the doctor and he looked at us and he said, your son has got complex disability, learning needs, cognitively, he's always gonna stay uh, very young in his head. And then he said this to us, he says, he will never live an independent life. You will have to look after him the entirety of his life. And, and, and we received that information and, and walked out and sat in the car and bawled like babies. And, and over the next few months and years, and I won't in the whole story, we had to ask for help. Our church family were amazing, incredible. They set up a special ministry so that as Simi could grow, he could have that. And then as we got friendly with people in a similar world and, and some of them came to Jesus, they brought their kids as well. And it's changed the shape in the heart of our church. And we needed to ask for help. But then fast forward to when Simi's 15. And in 2009, my father, who was an elder of our church and obviously Simi's granddad, he passed away. And in the six months after that, whether it was because of grief that Simi couldn't process or whether it was because hormones kicking in or a combination of both, we'll never know. But the next six months, and we, I was now leading the church, lots of things were happening, we were in the middle of building programs and all of that, the next six months were a living nightmare. The dream had turned into a nightmare. And for six months, Simi just went like, we don't know, he self-harmed, he hurt others, he hurt ourselves, we had to lock his brother in his bedroom for fear of safety. And I remember one day, him walking through the lounge, and walking up and down and pacing and banging his head repeatedly off the window. And I was, a, I was 
three stone heavier then. And I, and I reached out off the settee to try and calm him, and he got me, and he threw me over his head onto the floor. And as I hit the floor, I realized we needed help. And so we had to phone up the social service and say, we can't cope. I'm a leader. That's what we do. But we couldn't cope. And I remember with my wife driving to, to this place that the, the authority said, we think he needs to go there. In my head, it's an institution. You're never, my child is never gonna go there. And I was full of pride. And I remember us praying on the way there. In fact, I wasn't praying because I couldn't at the time, but Alison did. She's more spiritual than I am. And we were praying, saying, God, if this is the right thing for us and for him, just do something to open something up. And as we walked through the door, the manager of the place said, hello, Leon, it's been a long time since I've seen you. He was a Christian that used to come to our church. And so we released what's most precious to us into the hands of others, and he is still in residential care. He's doing really well, and he is flourishing, and our marriage is flourishing, and our lives are flourishing. But I tell you what, they wouldn't be if we hadn't have asked for help. Now, your situation might not be the same as mine, may not be as dramatic or, as, or the same, that's fine. If you need help, please ask for help. Can't tell you how many people we as pastors see, marriages that come to us and we say, why didn't you come earlier? Do you know what I mean? Why didn't you ask for help? We don't ask for help for all kinds of reasons. Then enter the story, this man's four friends. We all need great friends, don't we? Great friends are people that take you closer to Jesus. That's what these guys did. We all need real friends. Listen, if you're a leader, you need real friends. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And they hear Jesus is in town, and they say to their friend, we'll pick you up at nine, literally. We'll pick you up at nine, maybe. He had to be willing to ask for help. Leadership isn't lonely, folks. Leaders are lonely. That's different. So what I want you to do just for a moment is turn to the person next to you and practice saying these three words, I need help. Would you do that just for a moment? Just, just. Okay, let me get you back in the room. Let me get you back in the room. Okay. Just for time, I'm gonna have to quicken up now. Now, nobody died, right? Hope not, that'd be awkward if that did happen. Nobody died, I need help, please. If you need help in your situation, if you need help in your marriage, if you need help in your leadership, ask for help. Let's collaborate and see what God could do. Number three, we gotta to dare to risk. They carry their friend to Jesus, they can't get in to the house. Then maybe, you know, this is, this is in, the, in the years before the unwritten rule, thou shalt, thou shalt save thy seat in church with thy Bible or thy bulletin, all right? It's before that rule, okay? And they can't get in. And then one of them, maybe with the gift of leadership, says, let's have some ideas. No idea is a bad idea. We do that often in, in, in our team meetings. No idea is a bad idea. And then the one, the young one, maybe with a tattoo, says, I know, let's bust through the roof. The leader says, okay, no idea is a bad idea, except that one. That's a bad idea. But they go with the bad idea, and they go up, and Jesus is teaching and you can imagine the scene when little flakes of roof just come and fall on his head. And then there's a finger poking through a hole and they look up and then there's a fist poking through. And then there's a face and then there's four faces. And then there's a man on a mat being lowered down. Real friends take risks for others. Real friends take risks to bring the broken to the feet of Jesus. To bring the ones with no voices to the feet of Jesus. They 
risk. It, the Bible says, so they dug a hole in the roof in the New King James when they broke through. Come on, who wants to break through? Who wants to break through in your situation, in your town? You've got to dare to dream. You've got to dare to receive and get help, but you've got to dare to take a risk. You know, for us doing multi-site, we, and I'm after this doing a, a seminar with Lee on, on church in, um, planting churches, and we're making it up as we go along. We're taking a risk. You know, you've got to take a risk. I love this quote um, by Bob Goff. It says, fail trying, don't fail watching. If you're going to fail, fail trying, don't fail watching. Language we use around our places, it's either a win or a learn. It's either a win or a learn. We try something and we win. We don't, if we don't win, then we learn. And you know, if you're British, you'll get this. If you're not, you won't, okay? But I love this quote from John Cleese. The goal of every Englishman is to get safely to his grave without ever having been embarrassed. And I love that. That's so true, isn't it? It's like, I got to my grave and I was never embarrassed. I did nothing, but I was never embarrassed. I don't, want, I don't care. Do you? What's embarrassment? What's embarrassment? Let's have a go. Let's have a, if you've got small kids, you know, when they're going on a journey, you always say to them now, have you been to the toilet, don't you? And if they have said, I don't need to go, you'll say, have a try. Okay, again, that's the language we now use. Uh, let's have a try, let's have a try. Risk it, let's have a try. And you know, we need to also be aware that when we're breaking through, and when we're believing God, and when we're dreaming, and when we're risking, we've also got to risk some hard work. The danger at conferences like this is that you can hear something and think because you've heard it, it will happen. Um, Occasionally I come across a book, and I, I only finished reading this last week, so I couldn't recommend it to, to the guys in the bookstore. This is amazing. This is called Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. It's not a Christian book. It's, it's a leadership book, although the guy quotes the Bible in here quite a few times. But I want to just read you a couple of things, because this has blown me away. He said this, the hard thing isn't setting a big, hairy, audacious goal. The hard thing is laying people off when you miss the big goal. The hard thing isn't dreaming big. The hard thing is waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat when the dream turns into a nightmare. Is it 10,000 hours or 20,000 hours to mastery? The answer is, doesn't matter. There's no end zone. To think of a number is to live in a conditional future. We're simply talking about a lot of hours. That to get where we wanna go isn't about brilliance but continual effort. And then he says this, listen to this. Our ego wants the ideas and the fact that we aspire to do something about them to be enough. 